In the spring of 2021, Mickey Weems was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer and was given 6 to 12 months to live. This episode was recorded in May of 2022. Hi, my name is Donna Blanchard and welcome. While we recognize that Mickey is dying, we'd like to welcome you to another day of his life. Hey, Mickey. Aloha, Donna. How are you? Where are you emotionally right now? I'm feeling really good. Today is Eid. Eid al Fitr. Uh, uh, and t- tell us what or that tonight. is. What that means to you? Okay. What happens is that all over the Muslim world, people are looking to see, see the moon. And if they see that the moon is at a sliver, you know, it's a really, really thin sliver what the Hawaiians call Hilo, that phase of the moon, then that means the start of a new month. And we have just finished the month of Ramadan, which is like the fast, right? So all over the Muslim world, people are having parties, people are eating, people are singing and dancing, kids are running around in new clothes. It's, it's like Christmas. <clears throat> okay. So I get to share that with you guys. Uh, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Uh, that we get to share that with you. I, I've never shared that with anyone. Actually, I had no idea what it was. So thank you for that. You grew up Irish Catholic. Right. Uh, and now you're an Islamic. Yeah, Muslim. Uh, I, um, uh... I, I think there's, okay. Let's talk. Can we talk a little sure. bit about that? How did you go from Irish Catholic to where you are now? Really? spiritually now that i think about it it was kind of fated to be um i was in cairo um and went went to giza where the pyramids are at and i I talked to the guides and i said is it possible to climb them and this no it's completely illegal but come back later on tonight and i'll take you up so (laughs) i said uh you know for fee of course I said, well, thank you very much. Um, I'll think about it. And I left because I thought, I'm not going to pay anybody. I'll just do it by myself. So I came back with a, with a couple of friends. And it's dark. And I said, let's climb the pyramid. My friends didn't want to do it because the main pyramids are, I think it's Cheops. Um, there's no cover. The, the cover of it was stripped to make a mosque out of because it was covered in this beautiful stone. Um, so it's all this limestone, huge blocks stepped. So I decided to climb it. And um, as I'm going up, I realized that I chose the right side to climb on it because if I chosen the wrong side, they do a light show on the side of the pyramid. And I would have been so busted. Like an ant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, who, who's that fool climbing the pyramid? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm on the one side next to that. I'm climbing up the side of it. And it takes a while because it's so huge. So I think it's over a million of these huge blocks. And the blocks are like 10 foot by five or four, right? And you got to push myself up to get on the next level, push myself up to get to the next level. And I finally make it to the top, which is flat. There's a flat, small space at the very top of it. And I look out over the city of Giza when I hear somebody speaking over the minarets, over the, you know, at, at the mosques in town, and, and when the person gets done, the whole city cheers. Everybody's cheering. 
So I'm on top of the pyramid and I pretend like I'm Rocky, right? Dun, 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 dun. And I'm, I put up my hands like, like they're cheering for me. What I didn't realize was that was the night that the moon was at the sliver showing that it was a new month and that the month of Ramadan or the month of the fast was over. I just happened to be at the top of the pyramid right at the moment when they made that announcement. You were not a Muslim at this point no. in time. Okay. And I had no idea why they were cheering at the time. I found out the next day because everybody was dressed in like really nice clothes and everybody was laughing. Everybody was merry. They were fun. They were fun to be around. Uh, Egyptians are fun people to begin with. And they were, they were especially fun during the, 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 the Feast of Eid, the, fe the, the big feast where, you know, every, where presents are given. And, and like I said, it's like, it's, it's like Muslim Christmas. Um, so, and I didn't know that, but I had other encounters with Muslims that were absolutely extraordinary. In Zanzibar, I met this woman, uh, um, Nela Jidawi. She called herself an African Arab. She was an important person in the community. She'd been Oxford educated and she owned an inn uh, on, in Bueju on the east coast of Zanzibar with these beautiful white sand beaches. And I would sit up in her inn and she would serve tea and we would have conversations. When one time I saw men come up to her and she spoke to them in Swahili and dismissed them. And I thought, well, I said, well, excuse me, do you mind me asking? She said, oh, they wanted me to lead the prayers, but I just didn't have time today. This is extraordinary for a woman to be leading the prayers at a mosque. Okay, so I thought, yeah, okay, this is, this is an important person. And she was wonderful to begin with, gorgeous inside and out. And she told me that she said, there's an understanding in Islam that every, every, every people has been sent a messenger. So she said the Buddha and Krishna were messengers sent by God. So she was basically validating those religions. Um, and she asked me if I wanted to join her community. And I thought about it, but I didn't have a job there. And I thought, well, no, thank you. I, but you know, I really appreciate the offer. I didn't know later on that it would actually, I would take her up on that. Um, later on, I, I went uh, on, on the trip back from Zanzibar to uh, Mombasa in Kenya. So in this boat, there's all these people there with all their belongings. And I'm on one side with my little bit of belongings. And I sleep, I accidentally sleep against this one old woman's pile of stuff. And she hits me. She says, get off. Says, um, then later on the next morning, I'm looking pretty ragged. And everybody else is too, because we just spent the night, you know, on this boat going to Mombasa from Zanzibar town. Um, I'm the only non- East African on the boat. And this young woman with her, with, her, with her companion, her male companion, I'm assuming it was her husband, she comes up to me and, and hands me a fruit and says, Karibo, which means welcome. I thought, well, that was just really, that was just nice of her. I know I was looking ragged. <laughs> and she hands me something to eat. I said, you know, thank you. Um, later on, when I was in Nepal, I met a jeweler who was Muslim. His name was Kazi. And we talked about how he had statues because when, when you go through, uh, through Kathmandu, you'll see all these images of gods and goddesses. Um, he had them himself. And I said, you have images of gods and goddesses? He said, yes. He said, all you have to do is put a small flaw in them to show that they're not perfect. You can have them if you want. I thought, okay, this, this is a cool religion. I like this because the complete acceptance. And he spoke of, he, he was from Tibet. And he spoke of uh, his holiness, the Dalai Lama. And I thought, you call the Dalai Lama his holiness. 
even though you're not Buddhist. He said, I may not be Buddhist, but I'm Tibetan. It's hard for me to keep up with the story. Okay, but keep going. <laughs> okay, so what I'm doing is I'm getting exposure to these wonderful people who are Muslim. Yeah. And it's not the religion I thought it was. There was this just tremendous tolerance and generosity being shown to me by these people. It wasn't like someone running around, you know, with, with the Quran in their pants, yelling Allah Akbar and chopping off people's heads. It was, it was like just generous, kind, modest people. Yeah. And I admired them. I admired them tremendously. And I thought, I want to be like them. Then um, the massacre at, um, what, what was that? At, at the Pulse Bar in Orlando, where this guy loses his mind and shoots a bunch of people in a gay bar. Um, and his family is from uh, Afghanistan. And he claims he's doing it for all of these different Muslim extremist groups, which actually hate each other. So it just shows he is saying anything he wants to. He ends up being a bodybuilder who beat his girlfriend, who was very macho, who was hitting on guys, but obviously couldn't deal with the fact that he was hitting on guys. So I think what he did was to, to, get, to get away the gay, he'd just go kill a bunch of people which sounds like a lot of people <laughs> that are not Muslim in the U.S. that are Christian. It seems like they're going through the same kind of dynamic where they're willing to, you know, to deal with their own demons. They'll, yeah. they'll take it out on somebody. Yeah. So I didn't blame Islam for this, but a lot of people did. They use it as an excuse to just start like, you know, you know, attacking Muslims in the streets, saying that you're, you're not American, you need to go home, those kinds of things. So my dander got up and I started defending my Muslim friends. And about that time, I'm doing research on Julian of Norwich and on Christian mysticism, which obviously has Muslim roots in Sufism. And I read a quote from a man who now I consider to be my, my spiritual teacher and friend. His name is Cyrus Ali Zargar. And he wrote a book called Sufi Aesthetics. And he said, in Sufism, there's an, there's an obsession with God as beautiful. That it was as if my eyes opened up and I thought, wow, this is the path I want to follow. The path of God is beautiful. And I said, is that the main thing of Sufism? He says, no, the main thing of Sufism is God is love. But God is beautiful is really important. And so I thought, this is the path I want to take. So I converted to Islam because of that. As well as recognizing not simply tolerance of other religions, but appreciation of them. Go ahead. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. Donna. Uh, no, I th uh, th thank you for this. I'm with you now. I, I was actually, it was hard for me to keep up with your geographic oh. <laughs> uh, journey because we were in Giza and then we're in Kathmandu. <laughs> but I, right. I, I get what you're saying. I get, I get the uh, journey you're, you're speaking about. And um, the, the concept of God is beautiful, expound on, and that's what drew you in um as a as a physical concept or uh, as a god is love why didn't that hit you the same way god is beautiful really resonates with me because that is when god is the most attractive to me which i guess makes sense right um not god as in punishing or god as in vengeful but God is beautiful that God attracts. Mm. God does not punish, God attracts, okay? And that to me just makes, 
you know, a, 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 a God that can seduce me is everything. Ooh, that's very different than the, I, the Lord, thy God, am a vengeful God, <laughs> right. visiting, which we both grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. Visiting unto the fourth and fifth generation. Yeah. yeah. This- uh, so, uh, but I feel like there's some steps that we're missing in there between falling, loving this concept and, and moving toward this concept of uh, God is beautiful. Did you just have a moment where you, like a light switch went on? Yeah. Ha- uh, really? Okay. It was like the moment when that we talked about in the last epi- or couple episodes ago, where you were um, in a very deep shark, shark infested <laughs> channel of water and a voice told you it's going to be okay. And you, yeah. you had that snap. This, but this <sighs> moment with God is beautiful was like a Satori moment. If I can use a Zen term. Okay. A moment where the world just opens up where enlightenment becomes obvious and it's stuck. Yeah. And it's stuck and it has never left me. And yeah. So, so I feel like but, a lot of us have had those moments of, mm-hmm. Oh, this amazing thought, this amazing moment. And then you wake up the next morning and you don't remember it. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, <I'm> a, <laughs> you, you have them open enough though. Sooner or later, one of them will stick. Um, <laughs> People say all the time, the one that the usual things that people relate to is looking at the ocean or watching a sunrise. Mm. That the beauty of that makes them dumb, they're struck dumb. They can't speak because the beauty is too great for them. Now, imagine that looking into the heart of my soul and seeing God there as this most beautiful, shining thing um, and desirable thing. And it's like uh, Alice Walker says in The Color Purple that, that God gets angry if he makes a field of beautiful purple flowers and you don't appreciate it. Um, yeah, this I'll leave it to that. Uh, yeah, I don't like to think of the that uh, patriarchal male God who gets angry at anything. That that's too much like the God of ma- masculine toxicity. Yeah. And that's a God that I would have people reevaluate. Now, is that really the God that you want to follow? Is, right. that, is that what you really want to take from the Bible? You know, is that kind of God or because the Bible's got plenty of examples of if you look hard enough, you'll find God is beautiful. If you look hard enough, you'll find God is completely being loved as God is giving as God is for- forgiving. Same thing in the Quran. You'll find all of those things. Torah, same way in all three of them. Yeah. I'm still at a point in my spiritual journey where uh, I'm an atheist. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I, the Lord, am a jealous God guy. Because it seems like kind of an asshole if you're, <laughs> I, if I'm honest about it, because yeah. you're, you're jealous. You're God. What do you have to be jealous about? You're omniscient and omnipotent and you're, you're going to smite these little people who are just dealing with the circumstances they've been dealt. I, I, I so it's really ref- refreshing for you to hear me say that. And I think maybe there's more to my spiritual journey eventually. Um, and maybe, so let's t- 
What do you feel like is your purpose in this moment? Right now? Yeah. At this very moment, I want to defend Judaism. <laughs> and the reason why is because I, 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 I'm a jealous God that comes from Torah, uh, from the holy books, right? And um, it's within a specific context because God is a jealous God and that God wants God's people to be God's, you know, to, be, to belong to God. That, that he is, that they are his and his own, and they, they should know that they have this special position, but that God will get angry if they forget. Um, so I kind of understand that because I also went to Orthodox Jewish school during this trip around the world when I lived in Jerusalem. And I saw the love of Torah. I saw the love of the book. I saw the love of community. I saw all of these beautiful things coming through my rabbi. I saw him once come out of, of all places, he comes out of the bathroom and I looked at him and his face was shining. So I asked him, why, why is your face shining? And he said, because at that moment, I saw God. I went, whoa. <laughs> uh, uh, Rabbi Noah Weinberg, a blessed memory. He, he was such a good teacher to me. And he made me respect Judaism as much as I love any other religion. Um, so, yeah, so, so when, 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 when we look at verses like that, when you take them out of context, you've got to include all of Torah, you, you're not going to limit it just to that, just to that, that anger part, because there's more to God than that um, in Torah. Um, and the rabbis will be quick to tell you uh, any verse that you have from the scripture for, for Jewish people, you ask five rabbis and you'll get 15 opinions. Okay, <laughs> Any one of them, the one thing they'll agree on are the words of it. That's it. Everything else is open to interpretation. And you'll see these beautiful beautiful interpretations given on a verse that that will go run the range of god as you know as being jealous as god of being generous as god of being the god of the entire universe of all of humanity um so it i, I think that when we look at christianity and i've seen those same fine moments with christian thinkers where I'm really careful to not throw the baby out with the bathwater on that one. Atheism too. Atheism for me is absolutely an essential part of my thinking. And the reason why is because sometimes you need to clean your head of all scripture and just let the world come through, just like God come through or the universe come through as it is without any filter. You've got to open yourself to it. And the only way I can do that is to, is to have an aspect of me that's completely atheist. Do you think that's going to dim, dim, diminish as your journey with cancer continues? I hope not. I think I always have to, I have, to have room to let God speak for God's self and not for me to put a filter mm -hmm. over it. And atheism does that for me. I think one of the most depressing moments in my life was when I was with a friend uh, visiting her dad in hospice. I had never met him before. I met him in hospice care. And um, she had to go for a while, talk with the administrator about something. And I was carrying on a conversation with him. And I was at the time, I still believed that I was Christian which my, my story is I never really believed it. I was pleasing my mom and dad, you know? Um, it, but I, I well, I, I take that back. To some extent, I did believe it because when he said this, it was really groundbreaking for me. 
he said, well, I don't believe that anything comes after this. It's just lights out. It's over. And I hadn't really recognized up until that point that that recognizing that I felt that was going to be groundbreaking for me. So it's, it's really interesting that you in this stage of your life are willing to still embrace your atheism to some extent. I, I think that God would be angry with me if I did not. <laughs> now, wait, if you're an atheist, you don't give a crap. <laughs> Welcome to the contradictions of Mickey's internal world. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to, I'm giving you radio silence because I'm wrapping my head around that because I, you know, there's no atheists in foxholes and you're moving into a bit of a foxhole there. Pat Tillman, when he was being fired on before he was killed by his own troops, there was a young man with him who was, he was protecting. And the young man was praying and Pat said to him, that's not going to do you any good right now in this situation. Pat Tillman probably knew he was going to die within like 10 seconds after he said that. Shot in the forehead, three rounds, bam, took him out. Pat Tillman is one of my personal heroes. His last words were, I'm Pat effing Tillman. <laughs> yes. I don't know who um, that is. I'm embarrassed to say this. Should I know okay. who that is? Pat Tillman was a football player who oh. gave up his career to become an army ranger because he saw the attack on 9-11. He said, I'm going to fight the enemies of democracy. Oh, my I remember the hero, story. Okay. My hero. And talk about the contradictions of war, the way that he was killed and the, and the, the government's cover-up of that, the army's cover-up of that. Yeah, shameful, shameful. And me as a Marine, shameful that, that, that any, any, any service person would have to be, be treated like that and his family treated like that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he, he, was, he was not, I don't think I would call him an atheist, but I think he valued atheist thinking at, just as I do. It's so important. Uh, yeah, and uh, we were both raised to believe that Mm -hmm. uh, it is, is those laws in the Bible that make you a good person. And if you don't follow them, you're a bad person. And I've been shocked to see that, wow, I'm still the same ethical person, even though I claim atheism is mine. I, I, I'm sorry that I have to wrap up the, this episode now, Mickey, thank you so much. And someday very soon, we're going to talk about your time in the military, because I know that's a very important piece of this puzzle, but for now, Thank you. You're welcome. I'm Donna Blanchard. James Charisma is our producer. Susan Wright is our content advisor, PR agent, and support team member. Music generously donated by Kainani Kahaunaele from her Hoku Award-winning album, Waipunale. We're all here to support our friend Mickey and help him help all of us to learn about living while dying.